Hi, I'm Johanna Ferreira, content director of Pop Sugar Juntos. Juntos is all about celebrating Latin A culture, pride, our many intersectional identities, and joy. Thanks to support from Prime, there's so much to get into over at Juntos this month. From conversations with the Latin A minds behind our favorite new movies and resurrected TV shows, to thoughtful celebrity commentary and exclusive interviews with some of the biggest Latin music artists today. And it doesn't stop there. Get more of the music, movies, and shopping you love on Prime. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more of whatever you're into from streaming to shopping. And get all of our latest coverage at PopSugar.com slash Juntos. Con amor, Johanna. Welcome to Switched on Pop. I'm musicologist Nate Sloan. And I'm songwriter Charlie Harding. Charlie, today we are going to investigate a crime. Oh, okay. A theft. One that lies at the heart of the music industry. It's about to get CSI <laughs> up in here. Scintillating. I'm going to take you to the scene of the crime now. It's the 2015 hit by David Guetta featuring Nicki Minaj, Afrojack, and BB Rexa, Hey Mama. Yes, I be a woman. Yes, I be your baby. Yes, I be whatever that you tell me when you're ready. Yes, I be your girl. Forever your lady. You ain't never got a word. I'm down for you, baby. Best believe that when you need that. Charlie, are you familiar with this track, Hey Mama? Yeah, I feel like this was... David Guetta at the sort of pivotal moment at which EDM takes over pop music right mm. in the middle of the 2010s. How many views do you think this song has on YouTube? I bet it was pretty popular. Hundreds of millions. Try 1,300,000,000 views. <laughs> oh my gosh. So this is a massively successful track. Yeah. And it's worth talking about for a second. It's got these EDM elements, like these rising builds. And drops. And it might be worth zooming in on some of the lyrics, like those in the second verse. Yes, I do the cooking. Yes, I do the cleaning. Plus, I keep the nana real sweet for your eating. Yes, you be the boss. Yes, I do the cooking. Yes, I do the cleaning. Wow, some rather regressive gender politics here that I might not have even noticed the first time I listened. This is 2015 or like 1955. <laughs> okay, so there's a weird power dynamic at play here. And actually, now that I think about it, the co-writer and singer of the chorus here, Bibi Rexa, she wasn't even originally credited on this track. She had to fight for that credit. And she's not in the music video, if you watch it. And this is David Guetta, who's a producer DJ putting his name in front of the much bigger stars that are the featured guests. So there yeah. are weird power dynamics happening here, as you pointed out. Okay, so now we've sort of set the scene. Let's get back to our investigation. In order to detect the crime here, we have to do something I've always wanted to do. My favorite part of any detective movie is when they have an image and they zoom in. What do they say? I don't know. Enhance. <laughs> We have to enhance. Let's go to the very beginning of this track and let's enhance. Be 
we need to find out what this sample is, where it came from, and how it got there. Well, I guess there's a pretty obvious clue because when I heard the David Guetta piece, what I'd heard is what was like some kind of strange sampled snare. I realized here is like stomping or clapping or maybe like someone hitting like a stick on the ground. This sounds like a work song. Yeah, this is a work song. Your forensic musicology skills are coming into focus. This is a recording from 1948. It's called Rosie, and it was recorded at Parchman Farm, a.k.a. the Mississippi State Penitentiary. Oh, wow. Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. And in order to find out how this sample got into this David Guetta song, we need to take a closer look at the list of songwriters behind this track. Okay. We've got Esther Dean. Oh, yeah. One of the judges on Songland. Yeah. We've got David Guetta. Mm -hmm. We've got Onika Mirage. Don't know. That's Nicki Minaj. Oh, (laughs) We've got B.B. Rexa. Okay, yeah. We've got Nick Van Deval. That's Afrojack. Okay. We've got Sean Douglas and Giorgio Tunfort. They're two veteran songwriters. Okay, nothing unusual yet. And then we have Alan Lomax. Oh, that's curious. Who is Alan Lomax and what is he doing on the list of songwriters here? Alan Lomax... I feel like I learned something about Alan Lomax in an ethnomusicology class, and he went around the American South doing field recordings, something like that. Yes, he is a folklorist whose mission was to preserve the ethnic and the regional sounds of America in the 1920s, 30s, 40s, 50s. Hmm. I'm guessing his credit has to do with this sample then. Yes, he is now our chief suspect here. And in order to continue our investigation, we need to go back in time. Okay, it's 1948, and Alan Lomax shows up with his portable tape recorder at the notorious Parchman Farm. He's recording a group of prisoners who he only names as C.B. Cook and Ten Men with Axes. Mm. This song, Rosie, refers to a character who is kind of an imaginary mascot or totem of this brutal prison system. And the song would be used to make the agonizing labor of tamping down railroad ties or chopping wood or building structures. It would, it, it would be used to make the time pass. Mm-hmm. In fact, here's one of the prisoners describing to Lomax the function of these songs in this prison environment. No, but what makes it go so better when you're singing, you don't have your, 
you forget you see and then the time just pays on away. But if you just get your mind devoted on one something, it look like it'd be hard for you to make it see make a day a day be long it look like. So to get his mind keep his mind from being devoted on just one thing while he just practically take up singing. He's saying these songs help them focus, helped keep them from being distracted by the the back breaking labor. And even some of the lyrics of Rosie kind of reflect this. At one point, the men sing, stick to the promise that you made me, won't get married till I go free. This music emerged from a very specific and very particular set of circumstances. But at the same time, you cannot deny the musical power when you listen to these excerpts. I'm kind of taken aback, though, because this song, which fantasizes about a world outside of prison as a way to create hope through this incredibly difficult work, has been totally appropriated and mistranslated into this song that takes the desires of these working men and turns it into this like regressive female character in Hey Mama. Mm. That's certainly a kind of aesthetic crime. There's also an economic crime here Mm. because when we're listening to this song, we're hearing it performed by C.B. Cook and 10 anonymous figures. But the person who gets the writing credit is Alan Lomax. Just to be clear here, so this song makes money every time someone listens to it. Those billion plus plays on YouTube. Some portion of it is likely going to like Alan Lomax's estate. Yes, it's going to the foundation established by Lomax. And to be clear, this foundation does a lot of really good work. Mm -hmm. But this song is not his. Right. And in order to find out who wrote Rosie, we need to go back even earlier. Because these work songs that he was recording in prisons in 1948, they have their roots much earlier in the plantations of the slavery era. Okay, so now we're back in the 1800s, when the enslaved people on America's plantations would sing songs both to communicate with one another and to make this fieldwork they're doing endurable. The prison system that will emerge is, in many respects, really replicating the system of the plantation. I mean, this prison is called Parchment Farm, after all. Yes, and even Lomax himself acknowledges this. He understands when he's recording these songs that they stretch back to a deep history of injustice. Cultural equity should join all the other important principles of human dignity, freedom of speech, freedom of movement, freedom to work and live and enjoy yourself, and freedom for your culture to express itself. Because that's all we've got, you know. We're just culture. Now, 
Alan Lomax is a really complex figure who did a lot of good. I mean, the only reason we have these recordings in the first place is that Lomax had the presence of mind and the wherewithal and the determination to go out and record these essential aspects of the American experience. And his daughter, Anna Lomax Wood, has done amazing work through the Association for Cultural equity to repatriate these recordings and and return them to the places they were made and 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 the whole foundation has done some really incredible stuff but should alan lomax's name be listed as the writer of this song that's what we're talking about i think the answer to that is no all of which brings us back to the 21st century and hey mama Which means, if we're trying to find the original author of the song, we're out of luck. We hear C.B. Cook and these unidentified men, and we know they're singing a song that was likely passed down through generations. In that way, the song really belongs to the culture and the black enslaved people who sang it. Because of the institution of slavery and racism, we can't find one person who created it. They've been erased from the narrative. So where do we go? This isn't the end of the case, though, Charlie, because Rosie hasn't just been sampled by David Guetta. This song has a whole separate afterlife that takes us to some very surprising places. Fox Creative. This is advertiser content from 26.2 Team Milk and their new docuseries, Running Sucks. Is running the worst? Yeah. Do you love it? Do you hate it? I hate it so much. I hate it so freaking much. That you're a real runner now! I hate it. I'm Abby Ayers, a 37-year-old mom from Utah who found herself running across the Manhattan Bridge in my first race ever. Running Sucks celebrates women who run and the running communities that carry them across the finish line. Running helped me in so many ways postpartum. It really is about taking my power back and proving myself wrong. For every person like you, I'm telling you you belong, and I'm telling you you can do it. I never thought the words would leave my mouth, but yes, I'm planning on running a marathon. (laughs) I can't even say it without laughing, because, like, who would have thought? Watch Running Sucks at runningsuckstheseries.com and learn more about how Team Milk is helping women runners across the country conquer their next course. This week on The Gray Area, Professor Diana Posulka and I tackle one of life's biggest questions. Are we alone in the universe? What would it take for you to step off the agnostic ledge and say, yeah, aliens are real? Is it a spacecraft landing on the White House lawn? Well, something that was anomalous in 1952 did fly over the White House. And that's one of those cases that is still weird. (laughs) That's This Week on the Gray Area, available wherever you get your podcasts. (laughs) 
This song, Rosie, is so powerful. The call and response vocals, the harmonies, the vocal timbres at the very edge of human expression. Yeah, it was musically powerful because it needed to be powerful to help people through the most impossible situation. David Guetta is not the only artist to latch on to the power of this sample, the power of this slice of American history. The British group The Animals covered this song in the 1960s. It sounds like this. Be my woman, gala, be your man. Be my woman, gala, be your man. Every Sunday take you by the hand, girl. By the hand, girl. By the hand, yeah. Then, in 1966, they rewrite the lyrics, rearrange the music, and release Inside Looking Out. It becomes a really big song for them, and you can hear it's still clearly based on Rosie. Sit here lonely like a broken man. Sell my time and doing the best I can. I wasn't balls that surrounding me. But I don't want your sympathy yet. Oh, baby. Oh, baby. I just need your tender love. And Alan Lomax, he's still listed as the songwriter. Huh. Okay, so those axes are replaced by stabbing guitars and a drum hit. Yeah, it's turned into this kind of British invasion rock song. What was the impression of this kind of a song in that moment? Because it feels like, yeah, like a real kind of taking. You know, to, to retitle it, but under yeah, another name. Do we know anything about how this was received? Well, I don't think audiences were aware of where the song came from. The only clue would be the same one we have in David Guetta, the presence of Alan Lomax as a co-writer. Uh, Otherwise, you might not know from whence Eric Burden and the Animals got this track. Right. They probably had heard it on some very esoteric record that they owned. Well, particularly a collection issued by Smithsonian Folkways of Alan Lomax's recordings in the 1950s. So the animal's version, Inside Looking Out, 10 years later in the 1970s, is covered again, this time by the Michigan rock trio Grand Funk Railroad. I'm sitting here lonely like a, a broken man. I serve my time doing the best I can. Walls and bars, they surround me. But I don't want no sympathy. Wow. This is even more powerful. So at this point, two all-white ensembles have covered this song. Yeah. But when we fast forward another decade, something really shocking happens. This Grand Funk Railroad cover of the Animals cover of Rosie is sampled in a song by KRS-One called Sound of the Police. That's the sound of the police. That's the sound of the police. That's the sound of the police. I'm not hearing the sample. Right. Okay. So it's very subtle. But when you hear that kind of crunchy, distorted electric bass that comes in and hits on the downbeat of each measure in the KRS-One song, 
that's taken from the Grand Funk Railroad recording. That was the thing that I thought felt more powerful. Yes. <laughs> Wait a minute. This is so bizarre. In a anti-police brutality song by KRS-One, they're sampling a song which has been appropriated by a whole history of artists, and yet the moment that's taken is a sampled moment of an instrumental bit rather than the lyric, which might even have more potent commentary. <laughs> yeah, you said that very well. <laughs> I'm really, I mean, I'm kind of baffled. Yes, there is only the smallest hint of the musical material we're drawing on here. And as you say, it's really fascinating because this KRS one track makes explicit the connection between the plantation system and the modern day policing system. KRS one at, at one point in this song just starts saying officer, overseer, officer, overseer, to the point where these two words almost bleed together and you can't see or hear the difference between the system of slavery and the criminal justice system of the 20th century. For example, overseer, 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 officer, 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 yeah, officer from Wow. Perhaps there's something almost reclaiming in this subtle use of that sample which had been appropriated. You know, it like rather than being on the nose and and borrowing the the lyric, it's like actually writing out the white singer of the song that has been appropriated makes it that much more powerful of a sample. I love that interpretation, but the reality is that Alan Lomax's name is still on this KRS-One song. Wait, are you serious? He's still getting paid. Wait, that doesn't make any sense at all. It's a sample of an instrumental moment that isn't at all tied to the original composition. Like, I don't feel like this would pass contemporary copyright. Well, as the scholars Kembrew McLeod and Peter DeCola point out in their book Creative License, this is actually exactly how the copyright system works. And because Lomax's name is on that original song, he's on the Grand Funk Railroad recording, he's on the Animals recording, He's on the KRS-One recording. He's even cited as a songwriter on Jay-Z's 2001 track, Takeover, because it samples Sound of the Police. Chris and Nate, we run in this wreck. Every time that animal's arrangement of Rosie gets used, the artists have to pay all of those copyrighted writers. Oh my gosh. This is such a deep crime. I mean... This yeah. raises the stakes of what I had originally taken as like a kind of gross power dynamic and regressive gender politics. The use of this sample feels totally misguided. Yes, as you say, this is a deep theft, one that reaches back to the kind of original sin of our country. And other artists have tried to reclaim this song. For instance, Nina Simone records a version in 1965 on her album, Pastel Blues, and it's called Be My Husband. Be my husband, man, I be your wife. Be my husband, man, I be your wife. Be my wow. Husband, man, 
she even sort of flips the lyric around here to change the possessive. Yes. It's like, you're going to be my husband and I'll be your wife. And an incredible vocal performance. I mean, oh, yeah. one that retains so much of the sparseness of that original recording and finds Nina Simone pushing her voice to the limit, just like those prisoners did when they sang it in 1948. Unfortunately, we have not escaped this cycle of exploitation because who is the songwriter here? Alan Lomax. No, it's Andrew Stroud. It's Nina Simone's abusive husband. Oh, Lord. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and if you want more about that history, I can't recommend enough the documentary What Happened, Miss Simone. Oh, my goodness. There's so much more in the liner notes than we ever pay attention to. Yes. Is, is Alan Lomax credited on this one as well? No. Oh, interesting. I mean, it really raises this question of why he would need to be. And this, I think this establishes that he doesn't need to be. Like, why, why are these other songs giving credit to him? Like, I, okay, I get why that there is a connection to David Guetta using a sample that Alan Lomax had recorded. I don't like it, but he's the person that gets credit. I don't really understand why on these covers of the song by the Animals and Grand Funk Railroad and then the KRS-One sample that don't ever even use the original recording why Alan Lomax is getting a credit when he doesn't need one on Nina Simone. Like, I think that there's some incongruency here that's really bothering me. Yeah, Charlie, I, I can't totally explain that. And I think it points to issues in the history of the music industry and the history of copyright in the legacy of racism that undergirds the choices we make today when we sample something, whether we know it or not. Hmm. So as we step back from this crime, this crime that really spans centuries, mm. that is really much bigger than a 2015 David Guetta track, I think it's a moment for us to reflect on not just what is maybe the legal obligation we have when we sample music, when we cover music, but the moral one. Because clearly this legal system, this system of copyright and publishing has failed in some fundamental way. Oh, yeah, absolutely. In the end, I think this whodunit points to the responsibility that we all have as musicians today to think about musical reparations. When we use this music that has no author because that author has been erased, how are we going to make up for that crime? Even if we weren't a part of it, we're still benefiting from it. Yeah, whether it's through passive enjoyment of a song or our listening then enriches people who are continuing to appropriate this work. Yes. It may be too late to pay the authors of Rosie, but it's not too late for pop audiences to grapple with this history and for musicians to think about how to pay back the debt that they've incurred before they ever picked up an instrument. Switched on Pop is produced by Bridget Armstrong, Megan Lubin, Charlie Harding, Nate Sloan. Executive producers are Nashat Kerwa and Liz Kelly Nelson. Brandon McFarland edits, mixes, and masters the show. Abby Barge is social media, and Iris Gottlieb creates our beautiful illustrations. We're proud members of the Vox Media Podcast Network. We've made a Spotify playlist of all the songs that reference this 1948 recording of Rosie. We'll put a link to it in our show notes. Go check it out. 
you can also find that on our website, switchedonpop.com, and we'll be sharing on our social media at switchedonpop at all the places. We'll catch you again next Tuesday. Until then, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Why do you run? Why does anyone? I always thought that runners loved running, and that's not the case. Most runners hate running. <laughs> but they choose to do it. In the new docu-series Running Socks brought to you by Team Milk, Abby Ayers learns why women runners everywhere are driven to go the distance. It really is about taking my power back and proving myself wrong. Team Milk is about fueling women's performance and helping them along their marathon journeys. You can sign up now for the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon taking place in Savannah, Georgia on November 16th, 2024. Learn more and register at everywomansmarathon.com.